0: Good morning, Redeemer. Well, after eight weeks, we are at the end of the book of Judges. And I, I hope that as we, we've spent this time of Judges, that you have seen our God more clearly. I, I hope that uh, you, you, as Romans 15 promises, you have found fresh hope in Jesus. As everything written for us, is written that we might hope Uh, As we get into this last uh, section of Judges, we'll see that this is a quite confronting passage. Yet I'm convinced that through it, God will give us fresh hope. He'll fix our eyes more firmly on our King, Jesus. Uh, Before I start, I just want to uh, point out a sermon card that was on most of the seats. If you didn't get one, you could get one from the connections table, uh, but look forward to the rest of July and August, we'll be in the Psalms. Uh, Pastor Chris will lead us through three Psalms and then uh, some others will lead us through others uh, until the end of August. So hold on to that, you can read ahead and look forward to our time in the Psalms. Also, I wanted to, to say welcome today to Craig and Leese Reed. Uh, Craig and Lise, are you at the back there, I think, waving, stand up for us, stand up for us for a moment. Hi Lise. Uh, Craig and Lise Reed, together with their kids Annabelle, Andrew and Susanna. Uh, they arrived yesterday from Sydney, Australia. Um, Craig and Lise will be working on staff with us at Redeemer. We're really excited for that. Uh, Craig will be serving in operations, working there, with Hudson, Jason, helping us all, supporting us all as we make disciples. Lise is going to be serving with Redeemer Kids. Uh, we're really excited to have them here, so please be praying for them as they settle in uh, to life in sunny Murdiff uh, and as they uh, join in with us as a church family here. I also say hi uh, and take every opportunity to get to know them. I'm going to pray for them now and for us as we uh, spend time in God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much that you are with us. Uh, you tell us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we praise you for raising up Craig and Lise. Uh, For Annabelle, for Andrew, for for Susanna, thank you that you have brought them to us. Lord, we pray that we would welcome them well. We pray that if they settle into life in Dubai, if they join in with our church family, we pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that they would experience your welcome, your love through us, your people. We pray that their time at Redeemer would be one where they grow to love Jesus more than when they arrived. We pray that through them you might work to build us up uh, to make Jesus known, to make more disciples. Father, we do pray that you would be at work in all of us. And as we hear your word today, would you uh, lead us in repentance, in faith, uh, to fresh hope in your Son? We pray it in his great and good name. Amen. Well, what's your reaction when you watch the news? Whether you're reading or watching or scrolling, as you come upon stories of another war, another scam, another scandal, another injustice, what's your reaction? Some of us, will just aren't moved. We're so used to bad news that we just uh, nod our heads and, and keep going. You, you might get angry when you see evil injustice. You might be moved to help and see if there's something you can do. Uh, some of us just try to switch off. We've got enough going on in our own lives. We don't need to know about all that's happening out there. Well, today's passage is going to be like a really bad news story. It's hard to watch. It's hard to read in many ways. It's tempting to just turn it off. It might bring different reactions from us. Yet as we read uh, this passage, the end of the book of Judges, I think we'll we'll see some hard things, but we'll see something also very important. As we watch the breakdown of God's people in the time of Judges so long ago, uh, we'll also see in a mirror, we'll also look in a mirror and say, God wants to speak to us, God wants to shape us. Uh, we'll see today that apart from a good king, everyone, that's everyone, does what is right in their own eyes. Apart from a good king, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. We've begun to see it, uh, the passage that Jesse read for us, up to verse 21. It started in verse 1, In those days there was no king in Israel. Uh, Our passage at the end of chapter 1 is going to repeat that. This whole passage is about life in Israel with no king. And at first, well, it doesn't seem too tragic. It just seems a bit strange. There's a Levite wandering around, and that didn't end well in last week's passage. But we saw this Levite, he takes a concubine. Again, that's not promising for a man who's meant to be holy not marrying properly her wife, but taking a concubine. Uh, we then hear she's unfaithful. She went away to her father's house. He goes after her, but he waits for four months, which is a bit strange. He goes to speak kindly to her, but then in the long passage we have, he doesn't seem to actually speak to her. He goes and has a good time with her father. Uh, when eventually, after a few attempts, they, they leave, um, they, they go on a journey. In verse 12, uh, it's getting late, the sun's going down, and they say, well, we'll not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we'll pass on to Gibeah. They'd gone past this city, Jabus, which was still a Jebusite city, uh, but which would one day become Jerusalem. Uh, but at that point, they say, no, there's foreigners there. That's a pagan city. Don't take the risk. Let's, let's take the safe option. Let's find an Israelite city. We'll be safe with our own people. Uh, they go to this town of the Benjamites, uh, but there they find no hospitality. They went in, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. It takes someone who's not from the tribe of Benjamin, it takes another outsider to notice them and to invite them in. Verse 21, this old man brings them into his house, gives donkeys feed, they wash their feet and they ate and drank. It's, not much has really happened yet, yet there's a growing sense of the things that don't seem quite right. But from here in the story, we'll see some things go very terribly as we see sinners do evil things, yet we'll also see seemingly righteous people, seemingly nice people also do evil things. We'll see that firstly in the wickedness of Benjamin, as men from the tribe of Benjamin do what is right in their own eyes. Verse 22 the levite his concubine their guests in this man's house in verse 22 they're making their hearts merry well behold the men of the city worthless fellows surrounded the house beating on the door and they said to the old man the master of the house bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him the gang of men demand that the visitor come out that they can have their way with him if you're familiar with the book of genesis this might remind us of what happened in Sodom. Uh, the man, the master of the house, well, he goes out to them. He says, "No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile things." This host, well, he goes out. In a way, he's brave going out to them. And while he's brave, his answer is a bit strange. He doesn't say this thing would violate God's law. He doesn't say God has commanded not to do that, which you should be able to say to God's people. He says, this would break my obligation to hospitality. Many cultures, especially this culture, to be hospitable, to protect for those who you welcome in is important. He puts a high value on hospitality, on protecting his male guest. But then you see he doesn't protect all. Verse 24, he protects his his guest. But verse 24, here are my virgin daughter and concubine. Let me bring them out. Take them, do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. This kind man had shown hospitality. He'd shown some bravery going out to them. Yet he too proved completely confused, completely depraved. He won't break his obligation to be hospitable, to protect his male guest, yet he treats his daughter, the concubine, like their property, something to be traded. Uh, We're told in verse 25, the man would not listen to him. So the man, the Levite, seized his concubine and made her go out to them. So the Levite who'd gone after his concubine, who before had had spoken kind words to her. Well, now he protects himself by pushing her outside. The woman he was supposed to love pushes her out to the gang to protect himself. And she had this unspeakably terrible night. In the morning, we're told that she came and fell down the door of the man's house where her master was. You see, he's not even called her husband. The narrator says her master And her master rose up in the morning, verse 27, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And He said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. This woman had had the most unspeakable of nights, but it sounds like her husband had had a good sleep. He'd had a good night's sleep, he woke up, and when he got up, he didn't go to see how she was. He didn't ask, he just said, get up, let's go. And when she doesn't, well, he takes her, and you can see in verse 29, he does something very terrible and sends a message to all of Israel. He again treats her as less than human, treating her without respect and as an object to make his point. You see what's happening here? This is Sodom all over again. The Israelites looked back to the city of Sodom, the people of Sodom as a place of evil and said, well, we, God's people, we're meant to be different. Yet here, God's people, Parts of God's people look no different to Sodom. These men from the tribe of Benjamin, they had done unspeakable evil and wickedness. Yet even the seemingly good people, the seemingly kind hospitable host, the seemingly kind husband, they're a part of this evil too. They might have done good things, they might have sought good things, but they were doing what was right in their own eyes and because they were not doing living according to god's word because they were try, even trying to do the right thing when you're doing what's right in your own eyes well, that can lead to unspeakable evil and this, this continues in in the following verses as we see judgment on benjamin as even those who seek to do justice they do what's right in their own eyes. After the man has sent this graphic message to all of the tribes, sent this graphic, this, this, this message to all the tribes, we're told Israel gather as one man to the Lord. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1, 400,000 men. We've got remarkable unity amongst Israel now, but for a terrible purpose. And while people sometimes rush to, rush to bring justice, they sometimes they, they rush to justice when they might not have the whole picture. Here, the Levite shares the story of what has happened with the people of Israel. Yet notice he doesn't share the full story. 20 verse 3, the people of Israel say, tell us, how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, well, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me. It wasn't actually the leaders, was it? It was a gang of of reckless, reckless thugs. But the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she's dead. So all those things are technically true. But it's the Lethite painting an accurate picture of what happened, some of his guilt in that. He paints a picture which makes them angry with the whole tribe of, of Gibeah, the whole tribe of Benjamin. And so Israel are moved to action. They're moved to bring justice, which is good in ways, yet they're acting on incomplete information. They go, the the tribes of Israel, and they go to the tribe of Benjamin and say, give up these evildoers, send them out that we may bring justice on them. Verse 13, uh, give up these worthless men that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But then the tribe of Benjamin, well, they stick up for their kin, They, they stick up for their brothers and they're saying, no, we're not giving these evildoers up. Again, we have noble, loyal, faithful brothers. Yet as they are loyal and faithful and stand up for their family, well, they protect great evildoers. Uh, The people of Israel then ask, well, who shall go up for us first to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first if you were here at the beginning of Judges, that's how, that's how the whole book of Judges started. Yet at that point, God had told them to go to war. God had told them to take the land. And Judah were to go first. This time they don't ask if they should attack. They're going to make things right. They're going to bring justice. And it's sad to hear again, Judah shall go first. Yet this time Judah will be going against their own people the tribe of Benjamin. You read through chapter 20, you'll see two failed attempts where Benjamin actually win the first two battles against the much greater, against the other 11 tribes. In verse 28, they ask, shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? This time the Lord says, go up for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. God gives his people victory. Uh, they, they defeat the army of Benjamin. But after they brought justice, after they've defeated the army of Benjamin, well, they move from victory to vengeance. They move from justice to being bloodthirsty. And they go on a rampage and kill almost every person in the tribe of Benjamin. Chapter 20, verse 48, the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword. The city, men and beasts and all they found, all the towns they found, they set on fire. The people of Israel, they go out to seek justice, to make things right, yet they go beyond defeating the army to a rampage almost destroying this tribe. That was the kind of fighting God's people were meant to do when God was leading them, the kind of fighting they were meant to do if they took the land. Yet now the people of Israel are divided against themselves. We see even those seeking justice doing great evil. And finally, we see compassion for Benjamin in chapter 21. Israel is struck with compassion because they realize that one of their tribes, the tribe of Benjamin, is now almost wiped out. And compassion is always a good thing, right? Except this compassion, it leads them to great darkness. In the name of compassion, God's people will, be, will, will do what is right in their own eyes, in chapter, one verse, chapter 21 verse 1 we're told the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah none of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and they said, O Lord the God of Israel why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? Now this is a day to mourn, a day when Israel has turned in on itself when there has been civil war, when the tribe has nearly been wiped out. It's right to mourn and grieve all sin. Yet here they seem to be complaining to God. God, how could you let this happen? When there is something right, they say, God, how could this happen? Yet these Israelites would have celebrated when they remembered the story of Sodom being destroyed for their evil. Yet Benjamin, who had gone through with even greater evil, we're told, "Oh well, they they were spared. They they haven't yet been destroyed." Uh, they're complaining to God. Yet Benjamin isn't completely wiped out because of the the defeat of the army. It's Israel themselves who, after God had given them victory, went on a bloody rampage and killed the rest of Benjamin. Well, it's not right for them to complain to God. And finally, they make this promise. Obviously, while they were stirring themselves up for the battle, they said, none of us will ever give our daughter in marriage to anyone in Benjamin. And now they realize they've made this oath. And this isn't the first foolish oath we've seen in, in Judges. Back then we remembered that even if you've made a foolish oath and realised that it was sinful, well, you could repent of that. You could ask forgiveness and you could move on. Yet they see a way to hold on to this oath they've made because they don't want to be oath breakers. Uh, they see a way to fulfil this oath in another vow, another oath they'd made. Verse 5, the people of Israel said, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up to the assembly of the Lord? For they'd taken another great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord, uh, saying, he shall be put to death. So when they'd fought against Benjamin, anyone who didn't come and fight with them, they'd made an oath against them too. And now they say, hey, these oaths could work together. In verse 6, we're told the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for the wives of those who are left, since we've sworn by the Lord that we'll not give any of them, any of our daughters, for wives? Well, they say, well, no one came up from the camp of Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. Um, so they said, well, let's go and take wives from them. Verse 9, when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men and commanded, go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do, every male and every woman, slain with a male, you shall devote to destruction." And they found, against among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, four hundred young women who'd not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp of Shiloh. Isn't this distorted? In their anger over one woman who had been brutally treated, they they come for the sake of making of keeping a foolish vow. So they don't keep their vow. They say, what if we execute a tribe and steal some of the women from there? Then we can keep our vow. Or doing great evil. We're told the whole congregation in verse 13 sent word to the people of Benjamin. Good news. Benjamin returned at that time and they gave them the woman whom they had saved alive this woman they had stolen. Here we see that their compassion had led them to do what was right in their own eye. Their compassion had led them to great evil. You could say even greater evil than the, the first evil that was committed. And finally, we, we see, again, more, more evil. They realize they haven't got enough women for the men of uh, the men of Benjamin and so in verse 16 the elders of the congregation said what shall we do for the wives who are uh, for wives for those who are left uh, since the woman are destroyed out of Benjamin Um, and they say well behold in verse 19 there's a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh which is north of Bethel Um, And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, "'Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. "'If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, uh, "'then come out of the vineyards and snatch uh, each man his wife "'from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. "'And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, "'we'll say to them, grant them graciously to us, "'because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle.'" Neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so. You see, they said, well, here's an Israelite town. We, we know it would be wrong to break our vow and give any of our daughters. But what if we steal your daughters and give them away? Can you see this evil? People acting out of compassion. People trying to bring justice. People trying to bring compassion, yet not living according to God's law. So letting compassion lead them to evil. In response to all people doing unspeakable things to one woman, will Israel justify? doing unspeakable things to at least 600 other women. This is a sickening end to the book of Judges. It's sickening to see what has happened to God's people. And this shows us, this, was, this, this shows the people then and it shows us something very clear. It shows us that we are slaves to sin, so need a king. We are slaves to sin, so we need a king. Chapter 21, verse 23, we're told, They went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Now those words are unremarkable, Until you think of God's amazing grace. Israel, after doing this, will they go peacefully to their homes? How has God not destroyed them? Look at the evil to which they have fallen, yet God has not yet destroyed them. Look at the evil to which they, they, they have fallen, yet God has kept his promises. God has given them the land. This is another picture of the incredible mercy, patience, kindness of God that Israel is not destroyed, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is merciful. This passage shows us that we need a king. The book of Judges finishes in verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Israel. So everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's a picture of moral chaos. It's a picture of Israel in those days, but it's also a picture of our world. The wicked doing what is right in their own eyes. Even those who think they're fighting against the wicked doing what is right in their own eyes. Our lusts can draw us to great evil, but it's possible for compassion or love or seeking to do justice to also lead us into evil. If we're doing what we think is right, if we're doing what is right in our own eyes, this passage will make us appalled, make us appalled at evil. The evil here, yet it's also a warning because we see even... Those who are appalled at evil can be led to that same evil. When we consider the gospel, you know, it's easy to sort of see someone and say, oh yeah, they really need the gospel. You know, the, those, people, those people, the, the drug dealers, uh, the, the despots, the, the cruel leaders, they need the gospel, or, or someone else, they're so close. Someone else is already so nice. Someone else is already so kind. Yet this passage reminds us that if we don't know the king, even if we're trying to do right, we might get some things right, but we're doing what is right in our own eyes. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. The Russian Christians or some of the great evils of the Soviet Union he said the line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes nor between political parties either but right through every human heart even with within hearts overwhelmed by evil there remains one small piece of good and even within the best of hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. A line that divides the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, it runs through every one of our hearts. But long before Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that, well, Paul told us that in the book of Romans. Romans 3 verse 9, what then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. This passage is a powerful reminder that every one of us needs a saviour, the good and the evil, the licentious and the legalist those who would just follow our own passions and those of us who would fight for good and righteousness, every one of us, we need a saviour. And this passage gives us some hints. Did You see some shadows of the saviour who is to come. This story started in Bethlehem. Uh, it made, this story made us wish that they'd taken refuge in the city that would become Jerusalem. This would point forward to a king who would be born in Bethlehem, a king who would rule in Jerusalem. For a time, that would be King David. But while David was a good king, well, he also did what was right in his own eyes. King David would also at times treat women as property to be exploited instead of as precious human beings made in God's image. Then more flawed kings, more evil kings would come after David until the nation of Israel would fall apart completely. They would go to exile until the line of Israel's kings were like a a dead stump, until the hope of Israel was like a dead stump. And it was then that God, through the prophet Isaiah, would speak a promise in Isaiah 11. Decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This passage has made you hope for justice. If this passage has made you hope for someone who would stand up for and care for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable, well it's meant to because this passage is pointing us to our King Jesus. He is the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord would rest and while all the judges got the Spirit for a job or for a time, the Spirit rested on our King Jesus so that he always walked in wisdom, he was also doing doing the will of God. He was always doing the will of his Father. We're told he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. We have a righteous, good king in Jesus. He would be the king who would love people, who would see people who would be the king who reached out to the meek, the lowly, the humble, the outcast, women, children. We have a good king who came, bringing his kingdom, teaching about his kingdom. Yet this king went to the city where he should have been safe, Jerusalem. And there he was betrayed, handed over and killed. Jesus also found religious leaders who were more concerned about vows and being ceremonially unclean and breaking the Sabbath, all the while these leaders were plotting murder. Jesus is the king who came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Though the world was made through him, it did not recognize or receive him. And he came teaching He came to show us God's ways so we would know what is right in God's eyes. Jesus brought a kingdom and taught us how to live as citizens of this kingdom. But then our King Jesus was more than just a teacher. He was a saviour. As he was handed over, as he died, well, his death would unite people. People from every tribe, language, people, and tongue, so that we could know him. Friends, apart from Jesus, we are slaves to sin. Apart from Jesus, we need a king. But this king has come. So, do you know him? You might think, well, I'm a good person. I try to do the right thing. Yet this passage shows us that the line between good and evil cuts through every human heart. We could be kind and compassionate. Yet if we don't have the king, we will still do what is right in our own eyes. So friends, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't trust in Jesus as your saviour and your king, I invite you to do that today. Today. Ask him and he will forgive your sins. This God who was patient with his people throughout the book of Judges, this God who was near and listened and helped them even when their hearts were far from him, this is the same God who will hear your prayer, who will forgive you. Jesus came as the perfect good king, yet he took the punishment. He died the death, he was slain that the wicked deserve, so that every one of us, every one of us who would trust in him could find forgiveness and find healing. Friends, we are slaves to sin, so need a king. But if you know Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in King Jesus, I want to tell you that we have a king and we have been freed from sin. It's easy to read through the book of Judges and we see the weakness of God's people. We see how they keep falling back to sin and that reminds us of ourselves in many ways. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Yes, we, we struggle with sin. Well, God has taken away the penalty of sin uh, and while we're still waiting for him to take away the presence of sin, we today are being freed from the power of sin. If you trust in Jesus, if you're a Christian, well, you're not just like the people from the book of Judges because we have something they didn't have. We have a good king who has come. We have a good king who is on the throne. Our God came and he lived the life we couldn't live. He obeyed like we know we still can't obey. Yet our God, good king, he died for us. He rose again and now he reigns. So friends, we have a good king on the throne. He is ruling in righteousness and justice. And if we are his people, well, he has given us his spirit. The people in the time of Judges did not have God's spirit. Jesus has risen again, and he has given us his spirit to help us. Romans 6.17 says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Friends, if you know Jesus, you have been set free from sin. I know you still struggle. I know it's still ever-present. Yet you now have a choice. The spirit of the risen Jesus lives in you. Jesus has spoken to you. Jesus has taught you what it's like to live in his kingdom. He's given you his word, his commands. So if you know Jesus, would you look to your king, look to him in thanks that he has delivered you from that which you could not be delivered. He saved you from the sin that held you captive. Yet also look to him in faith and hope and by his spirit will seek to know his Word, seek to know his laws, seek to follow his his laws. He's kind and compassionate. We will fail until the day we see him face to face. Yet if you know Jesus, we, we have a king. We have been freed from sin. The book of Judges has shown us the darkness to which humanity can fall, the darkness to which even God's people can fall. Yet even in that darkness, God's patience And power has shone bright. We do live in a dark world. But I hope the darkness of Judges has helped us to see that nowhere is so dark. No life is so dark that God's light and God's salvation cannot shine. So let's look to him. Look to him in faith. Look to him in great confidence. Because if we trust in him, if we call for salvation, he will give it. But let's look to our good king. Let's seek to live lives worthy of the calling we've received. Because Jesus, our king, is on the throne. He has given us his spirit. He is shaping us to be more like him. So trust him and live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a a hard passage, we see the darkness of human hearts. We thank you that you have sent a king. We thank you for a king who looks out for the vulnerable. We thank you for a king who does perfect justice. We thank you for a king who is full of compassion and mercy. Would you help us to cast ourselves on him? Lord, we cast ourselves on you and your mercy for you forgive. Lord, we cast ourselves on you for help. By your spirit, you might strengthen us to live for Jesus, to live as worthy citizens of his kingdom. We pray the world might see us as your people. And would be led to praise your name in heaven. It's in Jesus' great good name we pray. Amen.